Welcome back, everybody, to another very special Into Summer almost episode. I know we're a month away, but we're getting there. Of Ignite Radio Live. You are with Greg and Stephanie Schleter over the five mighty stations of Annunciation Radio for the Almighty. And we invite you to join us to go more deeply into this great adventure at ilovemyfamily.us. So as the name suggests, what's the nature of this adventure? What can you hope to find there? Well, as families, united with families, so just start there. How many of us desire to be accompanying others on the journey who support you? love you, encourage you, challenge you, where you feel like you're actually growing together to become a holier person, marriage, and family, well, we are all about more fully discovering, proclaiming, living, and building the kingdom. At the very core, among many other awesome things, we have a livid gathering guide going out for over eight years on a weekly basis to bring your family together for a meaningful time to talk and pray based upon the Sunday readings. Before we get to our guest tonight, we're so excited. We're going to call him in just a moment, my dear friend, Father Joe Taphorn. He is the rector and vice president of the St. Paul Seminary School of Divinity in Minnesota. And I'm from Wisconsin, so I, I have permission to say that. And kind of sister states, Minnesota. Anyways, uh, excited to have him because he has been so significant in uh, many things in the United States, not the least of which is designing the Life in the Spirit program for the Focus Missionaries, which, of course, you may know us throughout the world. Uh, he and I were kindred way back in the day. We found statewide pro-life coalitions in college. He was very instrumental with a group of six or seven men to transform Benedictine College with Father Matthew Habiger. So um, very central uh, for the kingdom and uh, somebody who's doing great things now and more. So we'll look forward to that in just a moment. But first, some commercials. Not the least of which is the Kingdom Builders. The Kingdom Builders are what? They're business owners and leaders who are committed to professional excellence and building the kingdom. We are so grateful for their support, and we ask you to support them at massimpact.us forward slash kingdom. And just a quick enthusiastic shout out for each one. All-in-one payroll, Sherry Glenneman. Archibald Furniture Company, Pat and Patty McNamara. Becoming Gift, Andrew Reinhardt. Carpets by Auto, Auto and D. White. Caruth Studio. Studio, Terry Langendurfer. Cronin Auto Family, Rich and Connie Cronin. Interstate Commercial Glass, Walter Erickson. Isabel Financial Services, Dennis Isabel. MFC Products, Paul Miller. McCartney Coaching, Mike McCartney. Resourcement, Jeffrey Barefoot. Rob Holler, Key Realty, Rob Holler. Corey Hawk Medical, Bill Noltner. Signature Associates, Megan Malaszewski. SJS Investment Services, Kevin Kelly. Turning Point Chiropractic, Drs. Jeff and Rachel Elmore. Westgate Insurance Agency, wrapping it up, Stephen Malaszewski. I want to make the point that most of these we are, I say, clients of. We patronize them, their products or services. They've been with us for a long time. They have been just tremendous influences in the community. They are credible, godly Catholic men and women of integrity. They are worthy of your support if you're looking for great products and services. Again, massimpact.us forward slash kingdom. And we invite you to join us for our Kingdom Builders series of Belief and Beverage Nights. Season two, the theme has been Know the King, Live the Kingdom. We've been so blessed with these speakers, which you can find their talks at Ignite Radio Live um, and look those up. But we have Father Mark Davis coming up on May 19th. It is held at 
uh, Cronin Auto Families GMC building in Perrysburg. It begins at 6.30, and we invite you to register at massimpact.us forward slash BNB. If you do register, please show up. With no further ado, let's now call our guest, Father Joe Taphorn, all the way from Minnesota. Hello? Hello, Father Joseph. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. How are you? Very good. Steph, you're just smiling. You can register that you're here. Give them some hope that this will be more than just a Greg conversation. So, Father Joe, it's been a while, but just hearing your voice makes my heart smile, which is exhibited in the smile that Greg is seeing in front of him. But we are so blessed to have you with us as our guest and friend and uh, just to hear what the Lord is doing right now in the life of Father Joe Taphorn. How about that? (laughs) How about that? All right. Well, good. So this is uh, a Greg and Steph show. So tell me about the show that this is. Okay. So we have been now for, what, six six years? Ignite Radio Live has been a weekly program. It's over five stations of Annunciation Radio in Ohio, and it's followed up with a podcast. We've had a number of well-known suspects on this program, people you may know and love, and we do. Peter Herbeck, Ralph Martin, Bob Schutz. Yeah, just some wonderful people. And, you know, I would say- just not just but salt of the earth couples and um just godly men and women sharing their story of of testimony you know and how what the lord is doing in their lives and their marriages and their families so you might say father joe that the real heart of it is this sense from um saint mother Teresa that if you want to change the world go home and love your family that family john paul ii is the cornerstone of civilization and really to invite marriages and families people were asking the question many of our listeners right now listening um you know they have that awesome experience life in the spirit which we're going to talk about in this program or crisio chirp our program ignite and many of them come home and they kind of ask the question what now how does this become more than just that memory uh, with those people that place that time but how do we help a married couple discover your home is meant to be that place it's meant to be that place of ongoing ever deepening encounter with christ and so our movement i love my family.us is really meant to foster that create a context of journey of growth of support so there you go that's in a nutshell a greg nutshell all right awesome awesome (laughs) (laughs) the greg nutshell (laughs) there you go anyway so father joe we're delighted to have you and we set this up before we called you on the phone as you and i have been blessed by a common history and uh i just before we get there though um i do want to go back to the benedictine days and talk about um pro-life coalitions and the movement forward uh in your life um and our reconnecting points which have truly been amazing Amazing life in the Spirit. Now, of course, as rector and vice president of the St. Paul Seminary School of Divinity, etc. But before we do that, we really now are into revelations in the divine office, and uh, I think even masses, many of the masses. Um, revelations twelve eleven. They defeated the enemy by the blood of the Lamb. So, of course, the Holy Mass and the word of their testimony. So one thing we're really trying to foster among the Catholic faithful is to know the power of their testimony. It doesn't need to be this big, extravagant, huge conversion story, but to have the language to talk about God's vitality, His loving presence in and through their life. And so if you don't mind, Father Joe, give us a little bit of the 411 of little Joe Taphorn and uh, your background experience, and maybe just, you know, five or six minutes, tell us about your own coming to embrace your faith and maybe a little little bit about your journey into the priesthood all right sure no happy so um 
Yeah, you know, so little Joe Taphorn grew up in Omaha, Nebraska, and um, son of Jim and Joan Taphorn, a good Catholic family, and um, yeah, just kind of middle America, and I think sort of, you know, traditional uh, values, always went to, you know, Catholic schools, um, always went to Mass on Sunday, always prayed before meals, you know, all those kinds of good things. Uh, so certainly, you know, respected the priesthood uh, growing up and, and a very faithful uh, home parish pastor who I kind of looked up to. Mm-hmm. I think like a lot of young people, probably when I got to high school, just kind of, I was never really a bad kid. And I praise <laughs> God, I, I think he spared me from, you know, kind of serious things, mm-hmm. you know, but you wander a little bit or you just kind of begin to grow up and you begin to question and doubt. Um, I remember going through a little bit of a phase where I was just sort of, unsure about the Eucharist and, and kind of thinking about it scientifically, or could this really be, you know, you start thinking about sort of physical things and um, how, how, how can all this sort of work, you know, um, but still always went to mass. Um, but, but I would say didn't sort of have that personal kind of um, prayer life or maybe deep conviction. It was, you know, maybe kind of that, that phase that at some point you kind of need to sort of make an an adult quote unquote decision for the faith uh, at some point in your life. And so um, I was, you know, questioning a little bit in high school and had friends who were getting a little more involved in their faith, participated in a prayer group, would constantly invite me to this prayer group. I just didn't want to go. Um, I think I kind of found more of my kind of value maybe in studies and academics and, and this kind of a thing. And then uh, when I was a junior in high school, this is at All Boys Jesuit High School, there was um, a good priest. And Greg, I think you, you've met him along the line, Father Dick Tomasic of Happy Memory. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and Father Tomasic uh, cornered me in the hall one day and said, hey, Joe, I'd like you to come to this prayer meeting on, that meets on Sunday nights. Can you come this Sunday at 7 or whatever it was, you know? And I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> was, was you can't say no to a priest. So I just had this you know, that's kind of Catholic sensibility. So I was like, uh, uh, sure, Father, like, you know, like, I can't say no, right? So my mind, I thought, all right, I'll go once, uh, I'll hate it, and then <laughs> I'm free, you know? So, of course, I go, and wow, I kind of liked it, you know? I find out later, as this all kind of unfolded, it was actually the introductory night of the Life of the Spirit seminar. Mm-hmm. Um, so I go to the first, I go to the introductory night, and it's like, oh, well, next week we're starting, and let's sign you up and get you in a small group, you know? And so I kept going and, um, you know, what is it? Five, six weeks later experienced, you know, the prayer for baptism, Holy spirit and, uh, kind of my whole world is rocked and I'm wow. receiving love of God in a new way and, and spiritual gifts and mentorship and community awesome. and friendship. And then I started going to mass every day, um, at the, at the high school, uh, I had my own car, uh, and it could, you know, kind of drive myself to school early and the Jesuits had an early mass before school started. And then, then I started taking, you know, time during study halls to go pray in the chapel. Uh, and then it was senior year. And then you're thinking about discerning where to go to college. And so the Lord just kept opening up all the right doors. I ended up at Benedictine college, uh, mm-hmm. in Atchison, Kansas, mm-hmm. a nice little Catholic college. And, um, it, you know, it, it was struggling a little bit at the time. This is the late eighties, early nineties when I was there. And I think like a lot of Catholic, uh, schools and universities, it was kind of going through its own, you know, questioning of its own identity and, and, and Catholic values. Mm-hmm. It is now very, very strong. And really, I think one of the best in the country, but at the time it, it was still trying to figure out its identity, but I was blessed to find a good group of 
uh, friends uh, who kind of helped mentor me and, and walk in this journey, and then a couple of good monks. Ah, yes, very good, Father. Very good. Matthew Havinger, our <laughs> common friend, and uh, and that really just kind of then allowed me to kind of the freedom to discern priesthood in a more intentional way, and. Um, yeah, four years later, uh, graduated from college and then went to seminary. And uh, four years after that, I was ordained a priest, and that's been almost twenty-five years now. Wonderful. So let's so pause this story. Kind of zips by. Yes. Yeah. So there are points along this timeline. I want to go back, and uh, the first one, of course, and I'm going to kind of ask it in the antagonistic form because it's just fun to do and to be a little edgy. Life in the spirit. Isn't that just sort of a thing for uh, those of a particular personality type and that there are many spiritualities and that's just for a kind of person? Well, you know, I think God wants all of us to come fully alive, right? So John 10, 10, I came that they may have life and had it, but abundantly. And we know that that the way that God comes to meet, um, to meet us uh, is through the person of the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus ascended and is now seated at the right hand of the Father, he didn't leave us alone but he sent the Holy Spirit uh, among us in order that we may uh, come to know Christ through the power uh, of the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit. So the, the Spirit makes Christ present to us, um, and it's, it's not optional, right? A life in the Holy Spirit is actually just what, what we call Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, well so I, I think life in the Spirit, or baptism of the Spirit, you know, is basically just that, that um, not a new sacrament, but a plunging, a receiving, a going deeper into the life that God makes possible to us through baptism and confirmation and it's kind of intentionally uh, receiving and moving in the gifts and the charisms why because we're disciples and we're called to be in ministry uh, and the charisms are, are, are to help us equip us for the work of, of ministry and um, I like to quote St. Paul around here I do this with my seminarians who's our patron here at St. Paul Seminary mm-hmm. uh, strive eagerly for the spiritual gifts I think that's mm-hmm. 1 Corinthians 14 you know um, so you you th- this is this is a command right I mm-hmm. mean we're to strive, we're to desire them, we're to move in them. Uh, it's not really optional uh, in the Christian life. I love that. I love that. Father, we know that when Father Michael Scanlon ascended to the helm of Steubenville, people can read the Chronicle and Let the Fire Fall, his book. Mm, he re- book. Yeah. yeah, he inherited all of the, the debris of the 60s, uh, the philosophy, theology, and it lived out in the brokenness. It really punctuated the ideas, in fact, do have uh, an effect. And the seminary was definitely going down. I think maybe even Father Mike was hired, they thought, perhaps to just let's just settle this thing and you're the guy to go in and do it. And he, because of its its level of, uh, you know, of going down, they gave him full authority and control. And he had this insight that we were made, God made us from the Augustine thing and our hearts won't rest until we rest in him and that we need community we need a context we need the vitality of the sacraments so not simply certainly the Christ is fully powerful and present in all the sacraments but this idea the subjective turn idea that that our you know our inner experience our subjective part does matter I guess I want to ask you the question now that you have you experienced life in the spirit and we're going to get to this later on and you know how you've seen it through focus and play out in other ways um where are we at, do you think, as a Catholic church, and how important is it that we see this become more than just moments, but truly become a culture uh, in parishes, among priests, among married lay people? Like, what's at stake? What is that culture? What does that take? What's at stake? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I guess I keep thinking about, I mean, just sort of the phrase, you know, life in the spirit. So, so, so this is about 
a, a life, right? So, so a given retreat, or, or uh, in my case, maybe going through the particular seminar, you know, 30 years ago, uh, that that was a moment in time that that opened up something new. It activated. It stirred up. It was a conversion experience. Um, but if that's all it was, and then if I just went back to, you know, how I was the week before, well, that doesn't really bear a whole lot of fruit. You know, mm-hmm. and again, it's not to say that I'm a saint and and I'm very much the making. But that's the point, right? We we have to keep growing and living and and every day grow a little bit closer, yield more and more uh, in the grace of discipleship, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, keep leaning in and, and beginning to live that life. So it is, it's not just a, a thing, it's actually the, a relationship and the relationship, like every relationship mm. is called to deepen. And it's not made perfect, of course, until we see Christ face to face in heaven, right? Till we're mm. in the beatific vision. Um, but short of that, we really are called to yield more and more and, and surrender more and more. And so, you know, sometimes you run into people when we talk about the spiritual gifts and they'll say, well, I don't want this gift. I don't want that. It's like, what? Like, no disciple should ever say, right. I don't right. want a gift from God. You don't see that on Christmas like, morning, do you? With any kid uh, yeah, on Christmas yeah. morning, I don't want those gifts. Something is really off spiritually <laughs> if we're in a place to say, I don't. Now, it may be that in humility, I understand I may not be gifted in this way. And, 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 you know, and I don't want to be comparing my gifts to other people's gifts and do the comparison game. Men are very good at that, right? And we sort of look at what we don't have versus mm-hmm. what we have. But, but, but to start off with an attitude, oh, I don't want gifts, or I don't want that gift, that's a problem. You know, so we should always imagine God the Father, not imagine. God, God is a good Father, Luke 11, right, who wants to give good gifts to his children, especially the gift of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. especially the gift of himself, because that is the gift of himself, right? That's how we experience mm-hmm. the, the Father's love is through the Holy Spirit. So I just see it as kind of a, it's, it, it's, it's a conversion experience that should open up into a new way of being and relating. And, and then the rest of my life should be really just striving to grow deeper, in, in, in the life in the spirit and receiving gifts and growing closer to God. And then why do I get a gift? Well, so that I can share it. So these mm-hmm. gifts aren't meant to be hoarded. And I, you know, I like to go back, I think it's a Lumen Gentium 12, which specifically, you know, talks about the charisms are, are useful and necessary for the church. So they, these are in many ways, practical gifts. They're useful and necessary for mm-hmm. ministry. Uh, I think it was John Paul who very beautifully talked about kind of the, you know, the, the charismatic and the hierarchic, and these two have to come together, you know, kind of like the two lungs. Um, so we shouldn't be afraid of this stuff. It just actually is part of the very constitutional nature of the church. And yeah. I love that. To be Catholic is to receive this, you know. I love that. And I think um, with some honesty and self-reflection, because God entrusted his church to imperfect humans— all of us, not just the top leaders, are responsible for maybe, you know, not living it out purely or perfectly or fully. And we should resist the temptation to dismiss something because of perhaps it's poor instantiation. All that to say, the charismatic renewal or moments of life in the spirit in the past, perhaps there were things that were off the rails. Perhaps there were things that, if you will, were more about just, you know, trying to think like Montanism, the heresy, right, that we have this control over the Holy Spirit that rests in our own 
emotional world. And what I love is, and I've seen the maturity of, and I just can't be, you know, more enthusiastic about how I've seen the Holy Spirit work in, in fostering maturity through organizations like Renewal Ministries, Encounter Ministries, Focus, Net, certainly Steubenville. I see instantiations on campuses throughout the country. Um, certainly what you're doing at St. Paul Seminary, Detroit Seminary, when I was at Mount St. Mary's in Emmitsburg. I mean, there's a... There's a, a, a a conviction that we are about all that is revealed, not adjectival Catholicism, conservative Catholicism, or charismatic Catholicism. No, to be Catholic means to be open to all that Christ revealed to be true. And I'll say a book that's really touched me, Father Joe, and I read this in high school, which I don't know how I could have because it is so rich and full, is Dietrich von Hildebrand's uh, Liturgy and Personality, written in the 1930s, right? So this is before any of the charismatic renewal, the, the recovery, if you will, of this life in the Spirit. But such love and intimacy does von Hildebrand speak of anchored in at the time what was I guess we call all the masses or Latin mass extraordinary form would have been you know prior to Vatican II and his his just the the awareness that God gives us this way of worshiping him for imitating Christ imitating God and glorifying him and from that that mass and that grace flows these streams of living water that people are pining for I'll just say this and I'm curious about your own experience I, I see young people people uh, today, when I was their age, uh, how I would have wished that there was the level of maturity and leadership and mentoring back then, you know, when I was back then. I don't know if you felt that. Well, I mean, I guess I kind of feel like I was maybe just, maybe I just was really, really was blessed. I mean, I agree with you in a general way, right? Like I look at the the work of happening, say, you know, Totus Tuus teams and Net, Mm. Focus, and all these things that are really taking young adults and, and forming them in, in it, it's amazing formation. Um, so on a broad scale, yes, looking back, I think I just kind of was particularly blessed with people like Father Dick Tomasic mm-hmm. in high school, my life and Father Matthew Abner in college and, you know, classmate, you know, and now Bishop Drew Cousins and, mm-hmm. and these other, uh, leaders. Um, you know, I'm even thinking back to, you know, some lay people who were part of our, uh, core group back in the day of the prayer group, you know, very holy men and women, mm-hmm adult leaders who worked with Father Tomasic, you know. Um, so it's just like, I think I really was blessed with, with but, but that was probably more the exception than the rule, to your point, right? I think, I think as a, in, in general, the church has come so much farther. Newman Centers has mm-hmm. been part of my history and past, and, and starting a Newman Center in Omaha, and I see the great work that happens there and forming younger disciples and, and vocations coming out of that. Um, so I think as a church, we're much more responsive today. There's so much good news, really. Mm-hmm. It really is... Uh, it's yeah it's it's awesome so good now i want to fast forward a little bit so capturing the early years and and yes just that you were blessed by um leadership and a context that made it more than just an event but a way of life just absolutely love that and i think families are pining for that kind of community and connection flowing from the sacraments point made but in your life so going to benedictine and you got to be a little modest and humble in acknowledging uh, God working through, and I think there were probably seven of you. Now, here's where our paths cross, and I'm not quite sure. It was either through the point of pro-life coalitions. I had founded Ohio College Students United for Life in Ohio and very much involved with the American Collegians for Life. This would have been the late 80s. I graduated in 90. You graduated three years later. Um, so I don't know if we met at the American Collegians for Life, but I do know that we had at some point in the 90s a deep connection of wanting to foster this kind of coalition pro-life movement 
and that you were part of a group of men that were, it seemed like on a hinge, on a cusp of making a huge difference at Benedict and at a major culture turning point with Father Matthew Hobbiger. And then I'll just punctuate one other point and, and get your narrative of what, what happened there for the record. Um, working for Human Life International, I forewent law school, worked uh, head of um, the communications office, Human Life International, Father Matthew. At that point, your mentor was working there. We became very dear friends. And uh, there was a charismatic conference, I want to say, in Rhode Island. And some of his son priests, son seminarians at the time. So it was also now uh, Bishop Drew Cousins, right, was one of the seven. And we had a van. Um, going there and I remember all you guys were destined for a seminary priesthood at the time and he kept saying to me because I was not like no way father I'm called to be you know married and that's just the way he goes run as long as you can Gregory resist as long as you can you'll always fall in love at least once he just had these phenomenal father Habiger statements that were very endearing to me and of course I was surrounded by all of you it was an amazing experience by the way so I gave you a bit of a span of time there, Benedictine sort of being a centerpiece and Father Matthew Habiger. Describe for me some of that, what was essential to transformation on Benedictine and how it affected you and others. Yeah, so good question. So I think, you know, I mean, um, a lot of stuff is sort of born out of adversity and 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 things kind of were, became clear to me pretty quickly my freshman year. So I, you know, I had already been involved in pro-life movement in high school. I think, again, largely probably flowing out of this life in the spirit and Operation Rescue was kind of getting started in in Omaha. Um, and of course, Wichita became kind of a locus of that, which wasn't, you know, in, in kind of the Kansas connection there. So uh, I was pretty involved in pro-life stuff going to Benedictine. And then I remember um, freshman year being interviewed for the student newspaper by one crack reporter named Drew Cousins. <laughs> uh, and, and, and and he was like two years older than me, so mm. a couple years older than me. We actually became very good friends. But so so kind of the 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 in there was you know kind of the rumors oh there's this freshman who's been arrested for pro life that mm. might be an interesting story so he volunteered you know to come to my dorm room and interview me for the newspaper um, and then it was I think at some point it's like well, why don't you just come with me to one of these you know like if you're so interested in this so he did so yeah again I can't remember exactly the blow by blow but. At some point that year, we, you know, went down to Wichita or up to Omaha and participated, or at least he watched a rescue, you know. So we were kind of getting more involved in that. And then things all kind of came to a head at the end of my freshman year. This would have been the spring of 1990. And again, this is kind of when Benedictine kind of lost its way. But the um, the, the president and whoever the powers that be at the time had uh, selected uh, a gentleman to get an honorary doctorate by the name of Gordon Parks. Mm. Um, and Gordon Parks um, and and Bishop Cousins Drew was the newspaper reporter and had gotten like, you know, the, the curriculum vitae or something like that on Gordon Parks from the administration to write an article about it for the student newspaper. Well, discovers in the CV that, among other things, he was on the board of advocates of Planned Parenthood. Mm-hmm. So, so he comes to see me and he's like, what do we do about this? Um, and I just remember the first words around my mouth was, this man is not coming to campus. <laughs> 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 I was just like, I was like, go you. Nope. 
Not happening. We are not going to give an honorary degree to somebody who thinks it's okay to kill babies. Mm-hmm. Like, we're just, we're, we're not doing that here. Well, it turned into, I mean, the firestorm from hell, really. I mean, mm-hmm. it was really quite something and really divided the campus. And, and, and I mention all that only because it was sort of one of these, in the end, he didn't come, by the way. Um, but it was it was pretty bloody, um, just the whole kind of mm. angst and, and division and everything. But it really kind of sharpened the lines, and I think it kind of forced the question that I think sort of animated, you know, people who were kind of like-minded that, no, like, actually the Catholic identity of a college is worth fighting for. Mm-hmm. And, and we might be persecuted for the whole of standing up for life and, and, and the truth, but it's worth doing, you know. Um, and somehow, kind of in the midst of that challenge, I think you, you grow a little bit stronger. So that was kind of one of the, that was also that we found at Ravens Respect Life. And so that kind of, of course, that thrust us into sort of the headlines, even nationally. There's even some, some national stories on this. I remember seeing like, mm-hmm. you know, our Sunday visitor and some other things about this big controversy. And it kind of put us on the map. It also, interestingly, gave us a benefactor. There was a generous benefactor. Uh, who had been giving a fair amount of money to the college every year. Well, he was so disgusted with everything that he was seeing played out that he decided to restrict his annual giving only for the purpose of supporting Raven's Respect Life. Wow. So, <laughs> what a great That's Paschal awesome. story in this season of Easter. Yeah. Keep going. So, and, and then he, and he wrote it so that, that oh, the funds only be released with the permission of Father Matthew Hoppinger. So, <laughs> Even better. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Very good. So, you know, so we were able to bring in, you know, great people like Janet Smith. Um, um, oh, gosh, Joseph Foreman, who was real involved mm-hmm. in the early days of the rescue movement, a Presbyterian minister. Mm-hmm. Um, just some different leaders like that and, and begin to sort of try to have a conversation on campus about, you know, the church and life and what's most important. And, and I think it did kind of begin kind of a a shift, and of course, in the midst of all that, you you build deep friendships, and you have to turn to prayer, and um, you try to be holy. And again, I'm not saying we were in we, you know, probably didn't do everything well, and maybe there were moments of uncharity and other things. But you, you know, you're young and zealous, and you live and grow and make mistakes. But um, I think that's just kind of how we we learn about leadership and life and what's important, you know. So that was kind of, I think, one of the big moments of, of kind of growing up a little bit. And then again, just having good folks there that could kind of help mentor me and encourage me. You know? Amazing. So 1990 is when you joined brother at that point, Collegians, and came out to Gaithersburg, Maryland in the summer, I believe is when the charismatic That's conference right. yeah, yeah, took place. Work and then in that summer, yeah. And I was a little bit, I think you were all adept at this, but I think I, I in, for one of the nights before we went to that or around that time, I think you spent a couple nights, but we went, if you recall, I think you were part of going downtown DC and we spent some time evangelizing some people. Uh, I don't know if you recall that moment, which was pretty awesome. Um, but that group of brothers, I mean, so I want to punctuate for our listeners here that you, you all shared a mission. You know, there was a sense of, you know, God equipped you with a priestly heart, united with his heart to be poured out as he led you to others. And that forged a kind of bond among you. In fact, I think of the name Father Bill Bond, pray for him and some of the others. Uh And, uh, and, and now full circle, you are with uh, Bishop Cousins. You are, well, we'll get there in a moment, but um, how God has blessed your life and woven it, woven in and among them. Um, 
So we lost track. Uh, we're out of touch, if you will, post-college. Uh, and you, were, of course, went to the Josephinum and found yourself on one evening in the home of a certain Bernie and Judy Schleter with other seminarians. And uh, this couple would take in seminarians from the Josephinum. They're from Dublin, Ohio. And so my parents, all right, I just blew it. But you folks who know our radio program, know my parents are uh, very much involved and engaged in the in the life of the Josephinum. My mom founded Bethesda Post abortion healing ministry of which innumerable seminarians then became priests were formed by this beautiful ministry of ministering to women and men who were post-abortive experiencing trauma my mom is an expert at that and had a vital presence there in connection with the josephinum but you were with some seminarians and i think maybe it was sort of the fog of forgetfulness and you knew nathan at this point also and my mom describes as kind of an aha tell us about that moment yeah so i think i was like around the, the, the Schleter dinner table uh, and um, yeah I'm trying to think how I got connected with Nathan maybe he was just around the dinner table or something anyhow and it was it was just yeah just one of the evenings at the Schleter home you know and um, she's talking about all of her sons and family and of course what you're you're one of eight I want to remember right well we'll um, yeah seven yeah. we'll go seven 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 okay and you know so all the kids and this and then it just and pro-life and, and, and life in the spirit and charismatic renewal and things just start coming together and then I just started thinking about Schleter. <laughs> you know, like, I don't think she ever said my son Greg, but I, she might have said something like, you know, if you ever knew, I mean, one of my sons, I could just see you being good friends or something like that. If you knew my sons, you'd be good friends or something. <laughs> and then it clicked and I said, by chance, are you Greg Schleter's parents? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Small world. Something like that. We just roared. Uh, I mean, it was just like, 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 because I don't, yeah, I mean, it's so, kind of so random, right? Amazing. You know, uh, Little taste of heaven. I don't think when I was hanging out with you in D.C. that summer, like, there was a connection to Ohio necessarily, right? I mean, maybe you mentioned sure. it, but it just didn't stick. And I'm thinking of the HLI and Father Matthew. Anyhow, so, yeah, but that, that was just, that was quite a, that was a lot of fun. So, uh, no wonder I felt so much at home, you know. Amazing, so, amazing. So you continued to navigate, um, of course, were ordained uh, from the Pontifical College Josephinum in Kansas. And um, then in Rome, your bishop assigned you to the Pontifical Gregorian University. And just to make a note, you you became uh, connected to some of our other dear friends. I think um, Father Ed Losey, now Monsignor Ed Losey. Were you? Yes, that's right. Yep. Okay. So and some others, which is Father which is Nick Father. You get to know Father, Father Nick Rowell also. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. And did you know our Bishop Daniel Thomas at all while uh, you were there? I met him. I mean, I would say I wouldn't know him. I do remember, you know, running into him occasionally, and interestingly, happened to be at his ordination when he was an auxiliary bishop in Philadelphia, if I remember. And that was kind of a yes, random thing, too. I yeah. was at a conference in Philadelphia for John Cannon Law, and we were all invited to, um, you know, go that afternoon for the Episcopal ordination. But, uh, yeah, but just kind of little intersections. Again, the church is kind of a small place, right? You yeah. Know, you start meeting people and leaders, and it's kind of neat, you know. Wonderful. So another point of connection as we move forward in the timeline somewhat, focus. So you got involved, and maybe just share with our listeners, those who aren't familiar with it, with focus. And I was on campus, I 
maybe too much name dropping, but I lived with Tim Gray and Ted Sri, founder of, founders of Augustine Institute, very dear friends. Curtis Martin was on campus at Steubenville at the same time I was there for graduate school. And I know Curtis, deeply devout, deeply faithful, orthodox, convert to the Catholic faith, but he had this resistance to this life in the spirit thing. So I think you probably had some uh, meaningful connection, both in focus and in introducing sort of a life in the spirit uh, experience for focus missionaries. Tell us a little bit about, little bit about that. Yeah, well, so, um, yeah, I mean, I've always loved college ministry. I think it grew from my own, just how much I came alive during my college years. And so fast forward to ministry in Omaha, and I'm working in the chancery. I uh, did 15 years in our chancery office as a canon lawyer and all kinds of stories around that. Uh, but part of my sort of side gig, you might say, I was <laughs> a resident at a parish um, right next door to the chancery that also was next door to University of Nebraska at Omaha, uh, UNO. And so, um, you know, kind of <clears throat> as sort of a pastoral outlet, um, got more involved in um, the priest I lived with was, was a vocation director who's actually now going to be the rector down at Kenrick Seminary, Father Paul Hazing. Hmm. And so Father Hazing was, uh, at the time, was also serving as kind of chaplain for UNO campus ministry. And so if he would travel or have to go to town, you know, I'd kind of cover for him or help with masses. And then I got involved in spiritual direction. And then, you know, I'd maybe help with a Bible study or whatever it might be. And Focus, the Fellowship of Catholic University students, was one of our partners on campus. And we were blessed um, kind of early, fairly early. By the way, Focus started at Benedictine, so another little Benedictine. I didn't, I, yeah, I didn't that. know you that. Know, That's yeah, awesome. You know, so so uh, Ted Shree and Curtis Martin started Focus at Benedictine. I want to say awesome. like 1997, 98, something like that was the very first um, um, campus missionaries, and they started at Benedictine. So, um, th- And then maybe 10 years later would be around the time that we got Focus in Omaha. Um so I was, um, you know, just just a big fan. I mean, I I, I love absolutely love 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 what they do. Love focus, mm-hmm. um, and it's so impactful. And and in particularly the idea. So focus will go to both to Catholic universities like a Benedictine, uh, but also maybe even even more importantly in some ways um, is present on secular mm-hmm. campuses, and so can really help. Uh, chaplains of of Newman centers or Newman clubs, even if there's not a facility to kind of get a campus industry going. And so that was certainly the case for us in Omaha. They were really just a great help. Well, then, you know, one thing leads to another. And pretty soon I was um, asked by um, uh, a missionary, and I think he's no longer with Focus, but is still doing great things for the Lord uh, by the name of Joseph Williams. Mm-hmm. And um, Joseph was originally from Nigeria and very gifted uh, in the Holy Spirit and in the charisms and um, kind of a powerful lay preacher and retreat giver and uh, prayer minister. And so um, he came to town and was kind of pitching this retreat that would sort of introduce me called the called the boot camp the spiritual hmm. impact boot camp is what he called it and i remember him coming someone said well you need to talk to father tapporn at the chancery um and and i still tease joseph about this when i see him it was like i was being interviewed to see if i was you know uh, open to the holy spirit enough <laughs> to the retreat. Uh, so it's like he was interviewing me you know sort of and but it, but we kind of piloted this with our team and then we did it with our students and so I, I you know I don't want to claim credit for it it wasn't you know it wasn't really my retreat but I was involved in it for a number of years 
um, and um, not only in, in ones locally, but then was also kind of on the road for a while, kind of as a visiting chaplain, um, and went to any number. Remember going to Illinois, remember going down to Florida, mm. um, Colorado, Kansas. You know, for a while there, I was I was doing quite a few wow. uh, trips with Joseph and and Jessica and some of his partners to help give these retreats and just to really, you know, and you pop in for a weekend and. Um, you know, teach on, on God and the Holy Spirit and healing and surrender and, you know, God moves, you know, mm. he's very faithful to his promises. And, and when you have young people again, who, who, who are zealous and open and hungering and desiring, uh, you can expect good things to happen. So that, that I think is still going on with focus, the spiritual impact boot camp retreat, they call it. Um, and I haven't been involved in, in one probably since I left Eventually, then I went on to found a Newman Center in Omaha as I was leaving the chancery. I had done chancery work for 15 years, and the archbishop asked me to uh, move full-time into campus ministry, and so we built a Newman Center down there, and that's uh, where I was immediately prior to coming up here to the seminary. So, um, yeah, it's just kind of fun to see these different points of, of gifts and things yeah. come alive and really what it can do in people's lives, you know. And I'm sure, too, Father, how revitalizing for you in your priesthood, um, not to be stereotypical of a chancery office or anything, <laughs> but to be able to go and minister, you know, on those weekend boot camp things and and then to be, you know, pulled into, um, called into campus ministry work and just how good the Lord is intertwining the whole thing, I'm sure, to uh, continue to bless you in that way also so ralph and go ahead no i say you know another piece i might just add i think you know sometimes when we you kind of touched on it sometimes the the renewal gets a little bit of a bad rap as sort of oh you know it's kind of outside the mainstream or it, it doesn't follow the rules or it's not um catholic enough or whatever um well, I mean, you know, I mean, there's probably no bigger rule follow than me, right? I'm the canon mm-hmm. lawyer who's right. you know, <laughs> in the chancery and sort of, yep. you know, watching over all kinds of things. Uh, and so there was kind of just having sort of something providential when I could kind of jump into that world and help lead some retreats and do some teachings and things like that, that people would say, oh, okay, so the, you know, the, the chancellor, the vicar for clergy for the archdiocese, you know, the bishop's you know, guy is, is also the one mm-hmm. on this or leading this retreat or, you know, it, it is a certain... I guess legitimacy that yeah. was just kind of credibility. And, and again, that's not about Joe Tapper and quad Joe Tapper, but just kind of sure. given the work I was doing and it's like, well, yeah, like, the, you know, again, and, and we need to teach it faithfully and well. And, and it is right. This isn't just sort of made up. This is all right from, from scripture and tradition. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, that was just kind of maybe a happy coincidence. There. Yeah, beautiful. So up till your current position, you were in a high-level support position in the chancery uh, with a lot of responsibility, and you found these great avenues that tapped shall we say, a more direct um, priestly ministry outside of the sacraments, certainly, but in sort of, shall we say, the small C charismatic way that blessed you profoundly. And you you alluded to this another uh, episode another time. I'd love to hear some of those stories, but you touched on some of the things that any of us who have opened the door to trust in God and what he reveals in scripture and through the catechism is prepared to do, wants to do, wants to manifest the kingdom, to draw people closer to him. Signs and wonders shall accompany them. We've seen this. We've seen People with stage four cancer prayed over and healed. We've seen people, you know, a sight uh, restored. We've seen certainly 
spiritually relationships restored, when people, as you say, avail their hearts to, to the Holy Spirit. And truly, as we look at the world around us, you know, do we not see with the tumult, whether it be the COVID thing, certainly the ecclesial uh, infighting, and sort of the shadows and predictions from Akita and Fatima lingering maybe in some ways and doomsday people, is the answer not simply God loves us, made him for himself and wants to pour forth his spirit? So all that to set up this question. Now you are in a place of, of top leadership, and I know that it's a delicate thing because you're dealing with a history, you're dealing with different cultural forces, you're dealing with a little bit of the Mike Scanlon factor, Father Mike Scanlon of Let the Fire Fall. You know, what? what is your vision for St. Paul Seminary School of Divinity? God calls you to a new place, say, 10 years from now. What would you hope uh, would have changed or where it would be 10 years from now as a result of of um, the vision God's put in your heart. Yeah, well, I mean, you just teed this up in such a way that, <laughs> of course, I have vision. I'll, be, I'll kind of probably go back to my maybe you're you're maybe you're baiting me here, you know. But um, not, not long great. after I got here, and this sounds kind of corporate, you know, when you talk about strategic plan and that kind of stuff. Uh, but we did that, and, and not to be corporate about it, but actually just as a way of discernment, like like, well, you know, where are we going, and and you know, what what's kind of on our heart here, um, and very clearly. Um, sort of what came out within the first six, nine months and, and a good process of engaging leaders and praying and dreaming uh, was what we call our vision statement, which is the church on fire with the Holy Spirit and a world transformed in Jesus Christ. Wow, wait, pause, and, and pause. It, you know, we got we to drink that in. You read that, you said that way too quickly. Church, <laughs> Say it slowly again. On, amen. The church on fire with the Holy Spirit and a world transformed in Jesus Christ. Amen. Wow. Um, and and so that's that's our vision here. I mean, it's on our website. It's in our literature materials. You know, um, and and why? Well, because we you know we we train priests, deacons, and lay leaders here. So so we're first and foremost a seminary. So the most important thing we do is always going to be priestly formation. Like a lot of other seminaries, we've also have uh, recognized that that the church in, has many other ministers and those called to leadership, and we want to put really the, just the expertise of our faculty and formation staff at the service of the wider church. So we also engage in uh, forming permanent deacons and forming lay leaders. But all of them need to have this kind of thing, right? If we're really going to uh, make an impact, we first have to be animated by the Holy Spirit, mm. um, and we need to be the Holy Spirit. And then those leaders can then go out into the world and, and transform the world for Jesus Christ. And so another so little tagline good. we have around here um, is Joyful Catholic Leaders. And, and that's just, that's kind of a good summary. Like, like, you know, we, we want men and women, whether they're priests, deacons, or lay, who are on fire, uh, zealous, happy, joyful, um, and can go into the brokenness of the world, bring the light of Christ. And that's what's going to transform hearts. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, John Paul makes, um, in, in Pastoris Dabavobis, um, which, by the way, we just had the 20th anniversary of Pastoris Dabavobis, his landmark document mm-hmm. on priestly formation, was, was issued you know, on March 25th. 1992, excuse me, 30th anniversary. Um, and John Paul said in there that the work of priestly formation um, is one of the most important and demanding tasks for the future of humanity. Wow, I love that. Um, so it's like, 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 so I mean, I, I kind of joke with my staff here and seminarians and, and, and our supporters and say, so basically like what we do, like, like the future of humanity rests on what we do. <laughs> you know, JP two so said it. it. That's our job. <laughs> like, like, like all of humanity rests upon what we do. Um, because you can't have a church without priests mm-hmm. and you can't have the Eucharist without priests. And, and if you won't get priests unless someone forms them. 
Um, and that's what we've been entrusted to do, you know? Mm. And so, I mean, it is like, like the future of the world in some ways, whether the world is saved or not. Uh, I mean, ultimately, of course, when Christ comes again, you know, that'll happen. But, but along the way, right, we, we, we need to jump in there, um, producing disciples, not just disciples, but missionary disciples who are ordained or again, lay leaders, uh, who can really set the, uh, the church on fire and transform the world. So that's what I'm hoping we can wow. do. And, you know, how do we do that? I mean, we just, you, you have to cast a vision. You need to get people on board with the vision. You need to make good hires. You need to make tough decisions at times, you know, you, um, and you, you pray every day that, you know, God um, does what he needs to do and, and make leave room for the Holy Spirit. I'm still learning to do that. You know, I've been at this for a long time, but I'm still trying to yield more and more and, um, yeah, it's just that's you know, awesome. That's, that's, that's what it's about. I absolutely love that. You know, metaphor that I use because when we lived in Erie, PA, we were an hour up the road from Niagara Falls, and so to me, it was just this sacramental, visual, physical metaphor of God's grace. Right? It's out poured like a mighty Niagara Falls, and. Unfortunately, we've got, because of free will, the capacity to impede that. We've got the capacity to have stuff, junk in the way. And so a lot of great work by the likes of Neil Lozano and others, simply those elements of forgiveness, apology, naming things, certainly in the context of authority. I know there's some questions on that, just getting that out there, asterisk. But those fundamentals are solidly Catholic. I want to ask you a question, maybe a little bit more of a hardball. As we look at the church today, we look at we're in the wake of post modernism, deconstructionism. We see a, a lot of brokenness in the wake. And you, you're connecting with the joy and delight of God's equipping, appointing and anointing people to make it known. Speaking to, not asking you, I'm not going to say speak to bishops, but what message do bishops perhaps and leaders in the church, other leaders in the church, as you are one of them and you're blessed to be, you know, kindred there with uh, with um, Bishop Drew. Um, gosh, this is what happens, COVID Cousins. fog, Bishop Cousins. Um what is some of the inertia that stands in the way of the institutional church connecting with this and allowing that streams of living water to flow through? What are some of the things that stand in the way? And what are some th simple things, steps that they might take or things that you might say to maybe ease that big toe in the water? Yeah, um, I imagine you or your listeners are familiar. Um, if not, it's certainly worth getting familiar with, which would be the book produced by University of Mary from mm -hmm. Christendom to Apostolic Mission. And just going to mention that. Thank that you. Talked about that, you know. But but I think that's a kind of a good summary of sort of the ecclesial state today, and maybe just briefly, kind of the thesis there is that you know. Uh, maybe the last, I don't know, like maybe, you know, let's just say 1500 years has been what we call Christendom, you know, this idea that sort of this, this, where the, the church is heavily institutionalized and accepted in the world. Of course, I mean, ultimately, you know, going back to the, the fourth century with Edith Milan and then eventually, you know, really becoming the state religion of the Roman empire and mm -hmm. then spreading to the four corners and then, you know, the, the Christian Europe. And so, I mean, this idea that the church and even in our country that we've had a history of anti-Catholicism by and large, you know, have been, has been largely a Christian culture. Uh, but the point of the book is we're now really flipping back to apostolic times um, where because of postmodernism and all these things happening in the culture, we can't take it for granted anymore that there's going to be sort of support in the world for the work of the church. But the problem is we're still building and and have a lot of, I would call it like institutional overhead 
um, from the earlier era. So, mm-hmm. so one thing that I think can impede us is kind of just the, the weight of, of so many institutions and so much property and so many buildings and so much overhead. Mm-hmm. And we, we kind of feel this, this need, and I've been there in chancery offices and around personnel board meetings and, you know, filling the slots and we got to prop this up and prop that up and keep this going, keep that going mm-hmm. uh, without ever asking, well, or maintenance we, culture, you know, like, 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 or, or, or maybe we don't have to do that. Like, like if that's actually not producing disciples mm-hmm. or if it's actually not, you know, uh, helping people reach the gospel, then maybe we don't have to do that. You know, I mean, so I, th- I think maybe imagination might just be sort of one thing. Like, are, do we give ourselves enough permission to kind of dream about how we can do ministry a little bit differently, a little more nimbly? Um, you know, the, the idea of the parish priest uh, who has RCIA and waits for people to come to the door mm. Does that still work? Or do we rather need, that's why I'm kind of such a big fan of focus, you know, just as a microcosm, as a little kind of thought experiment, you know, I would constantly tell my college students, you need to be going on campus. You need to go to your labs, so your good. sports teams, and, you know, and you need to make friends. And, and, you know, maybe the first thing out of your mouth isn't quoting scripture, but it's, hey, let's grab a beer or a cup of coffee and, and engage in relationship and friendship. And then they then your friend discovers something about you, a joy, a peace, a radiance, something that they're lacking, and that opens up a door to deeper conversation. And I would see that happen over and it would work, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you've seen this in college, you've seen, you know. So somehow we need to kind of take that kind of a dynamic, lived uh, evangelical Catholicism and, and sort of try to move that a little bit through our other institutions um, and you know, maybe we can't afford to keep as many buildings as we mm-hmm. used to, and that's okay. You know, why why be bogged down? Maybe we're going to not have as many priests to have. You know, uh, you know, three priests in this parish. Um, but you know, but can I put a priest in a place where he can impact the most people? You know, mm-hmm. um, and be a little more free. So I don't know. I guess those are some things that I kind of think about, and I think bishops are wrestling with this. I just think there's no clear answer. And it looks different in every diocese. Um, but I do think, I, I think that that book gives a good overview of the ecclesial landscape. Mm. And I think really all the church, at least in this country, has to really ponder and kind mm. of pray through that. Re- We've been trying to do that here as a faculty and just no real conclusions yet. But like, you know, that was kind of a Christmas gift from the rector this year. You know, everybody gets Wonderful. the book. And I gave a rector's conference on it to the men. And, you know, it's going to be part of kind of at least an institutional conversation as we kind of think about how we're doing formation. Because if, if the landscape is changing out there and we're still training people for, you know, this, this era of Christendom, but in fact, that's not the world we're walking into, we're probably not serving the church like we need to be. Father Joe, what's the spirit of the guys, like as you said, as you gave your um, teaching to them on this book? Uh, is, there a, is it kind of intimidating? Is it exciting to them? Is it... You know, I think it's kind of exciting to them. Yeah. And, and I would say, you know, part of that's youth, right? You know, but but I just find, you know, I, I find it very edifying uh, to be with the young men here. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm inspired by them and their zeal. And um, I think there's kind of an enthusiasm and an esprit de corps. Okay, like let's do this. You mm. know, like this isn't going to be easy, but um, so that that's kind of the more the sense I get. And then I'm awesome. sure, you know, I'm sure some might be nervous. And 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 the other challenge is, of course, they're walking into parishes where 
you know, you may have a pastor who was kind of very old school and, mm-hmm. and we kind of talked about that, you know, and, and it, it may take a while and kind of a generational shift for, you know, some of these younger guys, you know, maybe it's going to be a while before they get into leadership in their parishes or dioceses to start kind of talking about these things. But I think we have to kind of, you know, begin the conversation and again, then make room for the Holy Spirit to work and to lead and guide. And, um, but, but I do think that they recognize the world today is far different. I mean, it has changed mm-hmm. so fast. I mean, mm-hmm. even just I look here on the, the college campus, we're on the campus of University of St. Thomas. And, you know, I mean, it's a college campus and it's got kind of all the stuff that college campuses mm-hmm. do. And you, you kind of think, wow, you know, OK, um, this is this is can be a challenging environment at times, but we just have to keep being true to who we are and not be afraid. Go ahead, Steph. Just, well, I just keep thinking thinking of home, right? And your seminary is a home for these guys. And um, just the atmosphere makes such a difference. And as you spoke of joyful Catholic leaders, if that is the atmosphere that they're being formed in, regardless of how intimidating, you know, to be open to the Spirit, the way that you are inviting them to be, and with that enthusiasm, praise God, praise God, praise God. Yeah, amen. Yeah. You know, and I think I'd shared... Um, with Greg earlier this week that, um, you know, we, we were just actually doing, finishing up our Life in the Spirit seminar now. Uh, here in the seminary, we had about half the house participate. It's about 45 uh, of our 90. and um, and And prayer teams are coming alive and guys are being more vulnerable and so good. asking for prayer from one another. And, and so I really think there was just kind of a movement um, of God and His goodness and, and healing and mm-hmm. just encouragement and honesty. And that's all going to serve well, you know. And Absolutely. And kind of model, you know, you're not in this alone. God doesn't send us out, you know, the, the, you know, the Lone Ranger priest, right? You know, this is really kind of the band of brothers and you need to rely on each other. Love that image. Um, yeah, it's a beautiful gift. And, and I think that they're kind of excited about, you know. Um, I don't think they want to go and just sort of be the the priest who lives by himself who yeah. kind of does everything but i think they really do hunger for kind of that they're not going to be alone in this um mm-hmm. and yeah just kind of rely on that on that brotherhood and then engage you know good lay people in in leadership we've been spending a fair amount of time in our pastoral formation classes talking about the good work of folks like amazing parish and pat lencioni mm-hmm. and those leadership models and, and building a leadership team and um, you know, you, you can't do this by yourself. You need to draw on the lay expertise. And those have been very fruitful conversations. And so I think we're kind of um, trying to equip them as best we can, you know, and you can't do everything in, in four to six years or whatever time we have. But, um, you know, then, then the next chapter is what we call ongoing clergy formation. And we're engaged in that as well. So, Praise you know, God. God just keeps providing. Wonderful. So I absolutely love all that. As we're coming in for a landing, you know, my two cents are that lay people or those who aren't even uh, attuned to Christ are really looking for one thing when they encounter any person who professes faith. And it's this, do they believe what they profess? It's that simple. Certainly beginning with the Mass, beginning with the sacraments. Are we convicted? It's a guidance really in, you know, John Paul II's rhapsodic theater. He got this tremendous insight that all of the world is drama and it has, you know, the the heart cosmology of, of knowing God and the, the Paschal transformation that we're all called to participate in. People in the depths of their souls have this quality. There's a great book by Joseph Campbell, Hero with a Hundred Faces, um, that has sort of the hero story. Why is it that atheists, agnostic, Jews, Muslims are drawn to drama? Because it has these four main movements, life, death, 
death, resurrection, and Pentecost. At some level, the protagonist goes through something. They encounter uh, a crucible through which they emerge knowing their identity and from which they that identity um, becomes a way of life, a way of mission. And I think Mass ought to be the most vital place where one encounters that and experiences it and enters into it. And honestly, I just I, I think those who get this idea that no program surpasses what we are, what we become, to walk into a parish and say that pastor with his team know what they're about. And if there was nobody else who came here, they're loving God and they're they're sharing this holy community derived from holy communion. There's Greg's little uh, fire hose monologue. As you come in for a landing, folks, you're tuned into Ignite Radio Live. So blessed to have our brother, friend, Father Joe Taphorn, who is the rector, vice president of the St. Paul Seminary School of Divinity. Just blessed by this vision that we think is um, truly taking hold is the heart of the church. It's the heart of the church. God's desire to claim every single person who he fashioned in his image to know him, love him, and serve him. So if you don't mind, Father Joe, speak to those young men right now um, in terms of, you know, being open to God's will. There's no greater thing, right, than receiving our particular call from the Lord. I remember Pope Benedict uh, gave a beautiful line to the American bishops when asked about vocations, and he said, if you teach a young person how to pray, uh, you will not have to worry about a lack of vocations. Mm. Um, wow. and Powerful. So from, b- born from prayer, right, is, 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 is where God's going to reveal his perfect plan. That's what's going to make us most happy. Now, God's will it and our will come together. So what we don't want is, is you know, when a man's approaching the altar of ordination, someone kicking and screaming, right? Mm-hmm. We pray that there, there'll be a deep conviction and a desire. And we believe that, right? Because our deepest desires are going to be what God's desires are. Initially, we may have resistance, but, you know, over time, that's, that's pruned. And so, you know, we're not forcing a man to the altar, but it's actually the men presenting themselves so and saying, no, I want this too. God wants this and I want this. This is how I'm going to be most happy. Um, and and what a beautiful gift, right, to be able to listen to the special invitation of God, rely on his grace uh, and say yes. And that's what makes men most happy. And again, your your young friend, Sepe, uh, just gave a beautiful talk the other day at a, at a breakfast here with some benefactors at the college seminary and super inspirational, you know, and, and I think people love seeing uh, young men uh, respond in generosity to the invitation and be able to speak about that. And there's just nothing better. Um, so, yeah, an encouragement here, I think, for all of our young listeners to pray, um, get a good spiritual director, start asking the questions and expect that God's going to move in your heart in your desires and that's going to lead you to where you'll be most happy magnificent so great grateful to have you with us father joe could you please conclude us with a prayer in your blessing of course in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit amen, amen. lord i ask you to pour forth your grace and blessing upon all listeners uh, we thank you for this time together uh, we know you have a beautiful plan for each of us uh, may we surrender more deeply uh, to you and to the power of your Holy Spirit in our lives. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father. God bless you all. Thank you so much for being with us. Until next time. 